We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. You guys can follow me on whatever that app is called that Elon Musk runs these days. My at name has not changed on there. At Mike Dugar, that is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Special shout out to everyone who follows us, likes, and subscribes uh, to our YouTube channel, Seahawks Man to Man on YouTube. Seahawks Man, the number two man is the name of the channel. Appreciate, appreciate, appreciate all the love and support there. Um, shout out to everyone who watched our YouTube exclusives on there as well. Uh, Chris, go ahead. Talk to him. Good day, everybody. It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206. And that's CKID206. This is a, a back-to-back week or flu game podcast for me. Uh, the pullover on the freeway on the way home from the commander's win and almost threw up about three times before we recorded the pod. Hopefully you guys couldn't tell uh, by the uh, the sound quality on my part. I feel like hell after this Rams game, too. Um, I just took a, a big old NyQuil pill. It's like my fourth one in 20 minutes. So, Chris, hopefully I don't pass out um, on here. I uh, hope that does not happen. Uh, but anyway, as you guys can see on YouTube, I'm in my hotel uh, down here in Los Angeles, coming to you guys after the Rams game. Seahawks lost a nail biter, seventeen to sixteen. A lot going on there uh, in the final minutes. Geno hurt. The Drew Lock coming in to the final couple drives, penalties, miss kick. Every Chris just had a little bit uh, of everything, and the fact that they lost and the way that they lost is always reflected. The, the, excuse me. The severity of it is always reflected in the questions we get uh, after the pod, and we'll get to those as well. Um, but before we get to those, Chris, we've talked before about them being in trouble, panic button, what's wrong, them being broken. I think we had a, a pod calling them broken in 2021. Um, take all of that stuff in a little bad Seahawks concern pods, and we just got to dump it out on the table and use it again. Because all the, the concerns that they've had uh, in the past um, about, like, what kind of team they can ultimately become, whether that's we find that out when Russ gets his finger broke or when Russ doesn't complete a ball on a two-point conversion in, in Washington on Monday Night Football or when um, they go 0 for 2 against the Niners last season. There's always feel like a time where the Seahawks are either going to have to show that they're a contender or or not. And not to say that this Rams game does that, but it it exposes more issues that we've seen before, and it puts an even bigger spotlight on this Thursday night game coming up on Thanksgiving against the Niners, who are just on a tear. I know they lost a couple games there for a second, but boy, they got right back to it once they got Debo and Christian healthy, and I think Trent Williams is back for them too. They they, they smoking it, and the clock is ticking on Seattle season. We're in week 12 coming up, so it's not like it's the end of the road, Chris, but through how many games do they play? They're 6-4, and four, so 10 games, 11 weeks. This just does not look like a team that is going to achieve its goal. That's why I say the clock is ticking. It's it, it's put up or shut up time 
Today was test, test uh, excuse me, test number one. Thanksgiving will be test number two. That'd be like the final. You know, if, if this was like the midterm, quote unquote, the final is coming up and Chris, they do not look like they studied. This looks like a team that pull, tries to pull an all nighter, drinking caffeine and uh, all night with their homies in study hall, trying to turn in a crappy English paper at 1159. That's due at midnight because uh, this this team looks unprepared to go against teams who are just as talented, if not more talented than them. You know, uh, everything from the details of the penalties of just overall execution to play calling to adjustments uh, to communication. Everything is just not there where it needs to be uh, against the teams that really, really will test that. And that's this is just the Rams who came in and were three and six. Chris, they about to face the Niners, the Cowboys, the Niners again, and then the Eagles. Uh, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it does feel like we're looking at a team that we knew was entering a stretch where they were going to put their um, – their goal of wanting to be a championship team that was going to be tested. And so far, like I said, they look like a team that is unprepared to meet that challenge. And it's unfortunate because at the start of the game, I thought they're going to roll these boys. <laughs> the first play of the game, <laughs> there's a sack and it's by our guy, Devin Witherspoon. He's been coming second off the edge. Uh, oh, second play. Okay. Yes. Oh yeah. The run. Then they had the second, the first pass attempt. It's a sack. Yep. In my head, oh yeah, Seahawks. It's gonna be, it's gonna be an ugly one for the Rams. And then what do the Seahawks do offensively? I said, oh yeah, this is Seahawks got this in the bag. And then the tide just started to turn. Some issues popped up. Things started happening, penalties, and it just it, be, it became a snowball effect. It was real small. By the fourth quarter, it was damn. This is really happening. No touchdowns, field goals, it, nasty football. Not, I'm sure 12s would, and some of the questions are based on how that performance was about the offense, and it just wasn't consistent. It wasn't good. The execution, the defense did everything they could, but even then, wasn't enough. Penalties, allowing drives to continue. That is not a Super Bowl team. That, that you guys saw on Sunday against the Rams. And as you see, clock is ticking on the season. Mike, we talked about it last week. You brought up the point, when you look at some of those top teams in the NFL, whether it be the Ravens, whether it be the Eagles, hell, the Niners, the Cowboys, you know what they all have in common? They whoop somebody's ass in a week. During a game. And when I mean whoop they ass, I mean they beat them by 20 plus. You know what the Seahawks haven't done? They haven't done that. They haven't stumped the team out and make you think, oh, yeah, okay. The Seahawks, they're they're in that conversation of as as an, a really good football team. And they've played some really bad teams. <laughs> I think we can agree. They played teams that they should mm -hmm. have, as you would say, kick the door in. And they haven't done that. And on Sunday against the Rams, I thought it was a, a – based off the first possession offensively and defensively, I'm thinking this is the opportunity where they can go punch some team in the face and just crush them from the first quarter to the end of the game. That's what I was feeling from the jump. And ultimately, that didn't happen. It, as I mentioned earlier, small things popped up, small things that continued to linger. You look at – the Seahawks' second drive and why it folded. It was penalties. You had a illegal shift by Bobo. So now it's first and 15. Delay of game. Geno's not ready for the clock. And then you have to pretty much just, okay, we're going to get at least three here. You had an opportunity to get a touchdown, man. But little things came up and crept in. And that eliminated... A touchdown. It, instead of it being 14-0 on the second drive, it's now only 10. And that is the difference between a championship-caliber team that doesn't have those mistakes where there's illegal shift, delay of game. That doesn't happen. And if it does happen, they forget about it, they move on, and they come back, and they execute everything perfectly. And that, unfortunately, didn't happen Sunday. And 
you mentioned just what they have coming up. It's not going to be sweet. It's going to be a tough, tough game come Thursday. The good news is they're back at home. They're going to have their fans raving and screaming and cheering for them. But it's a, dare I say, must win. They got to figure, they got they got to find some consistency. And then what's up with Geno Smith? Is he going to be able to play? Is he going to be healthy? I mean, look at this. I, <laughs> there's no reason why Phil Haynes should allow number 99 to ever go unblocked. There's just no, I, I, there's, I don't have the words for it. How he comes off the line untouched, and it's not a run play. I get if it's a run play and maybe you miss your assignment. It is a pass play. It should be straightforward. I know who I'm blocking. It's as, it's as if he forgot the assignment. 99's in front of you, and you're thinking, yeah, maybe someone else has him. That pretty much sealed their fate right then and there. Aaron Donald takes out another quarterback. He took out Russell Wilson a few years back, and then he takes out Geno Smith. And guess what happened in both those games? The Rams won both. So it's just, it's unfortunate. And hopefully Geno is healthy because we saw what Geno can do at the end of the game. Unfortunately, there was a mistake made. He should have clocked it after a great throw to DK. I guess we can throw that in there too, right, Mike? Great final sequence, as you put it. Just a beautiful pass. Stepped up in the pocket. Got it to him. Money. I can't complain, but then, oh, yeah, let's run the football. Because uh, how much time is left when he snaps it? About 26 seconds. So you're going if you, to, if you, if you do spike it, you'll have 22 seconds. And then you can obviously maybe pass it again. There, you, have, you have options. On that play, he just runs it, and that unfortunately kind of sealed their fate, and you're leaving it up to Jason Myers, who was more than capable of making that field goal. He'll tell you that, but maybe they should have spiked it, given the opportunity to call a, a brief timeout for yourselves, catch your breath, figure it out. How do you want to do this here? Do you want to throw a quick out to Tyra Lockett, something that they do consistently very well, do you want to throw a crow to DK? I mean, there's options. So, unfortunately, they didn't execute the way they wanted to at the end of the game, but they had a shot. They had an opportunity, and they missed it. They missed it. You can blame Gino. You can blame Shane. You can blame Myers. You know what? All of them played a role in it. Everybody made mistakes. Everybody played a role in this loss, from penalties to lack of execution. It was all a mess. Everything that Mike and I have discussed ad nauseum since probably what week two week three it kind of reared its ugly head yet again third down issues at one point mike they were four for four <laughs> mm -hmm. i was confident as i said earlier to start my little dialogue i said oh this is gonna be a blowout the seahawks are gonna crush them it is what it is great for them they have they blow out a football team that's three and six and then they go up against a team that is dare I say, the best in the NFL, one of the top teams in the league in your division, and you get a real test. And unfortunately, they fell short. I do think you can have flaws and be a championship contender. That is perfectly fine. The Eagles have flaws. Um, the Chiefs have flaws. The Niners have flaws. Um, the Cowboys, they have flaws. Every team, I think, that I would consider, the Ravens have flaws. The Dolphins have flaws. The, the good teams, I think, have Flaws. That's the championship contenders. I think have flaws. For the Seahawks, but the reason why I feel like the clock is ticking is because of what their flaws are and the inability to overcome them. Mm. Like if you're, if one of your flaws, one of your most glaring ones is on any given third down, you could commit a penalty uh, defensively away from the ball that keeps the drive alive. This is not the first time that's happened, whether it's fair or not. To put the refs in the position where they could even make that call. That's one of your flaws. That's tough, particularly at this this late in the season. The other one on offense, to be this bad on third down. It's one thing to just not be great on third down. Everybody can't be great on third down. That's fine. They're not even close to average because they came into this about 30th in the league. And I was looking pregame. I was like, man, if they win the game here, I was, I was tweeting out some stats. I was like, man, if they win, where's the win going to come? Like, how are they going to do it outside of just forcing a million turnovers? Because you can beat anybody when you do that. But I was like, okay, where can they win this game? I found the, the number. It's third down. 
if they were around, I think I tweeted it, it was like 45%-ish. This was pregame. It's like you get around that number to beat these guys. Like you said, they start off 100%. After that, Chris, they proceeded to go 0 for 10. The last third down they completed is the one you just showed on the screen is the third and eight to DK Metcalf. So they went a very, very, very long time with just going, failing on third down, failing and failing and failing. Some of those were just not legit. I mean, it's just hard to convert some of those. It was like third and 11, third and 11, third and 15, third and 14, third and 22. Like those are just hard. But the fact that you find yourselves in those situations too, I guess another flaw. If, if one of your flaws is third downs for me offensively, I've just it's hard to believe in that type of team. It's really hard to overcome that, particularly when you play teams who are either just as good as you or better than you, which they are going to play not only just in this next little stretch here, but also in the postseason. You're going to play teams that are more talented than you or equally as talented, and you got to be able to buck up and be good on situational football. They're bad in the red zone. You're bad in the red zone on third down. No one's going to believe in you to beat anybody worth a damn. They're just not, nor should they, really. The Seahawks will tell you that themselves. You can't be good on third down in the red zone. Who are you going to beat? Defensively, they were good on third down today. I think they were really good, actually. But offensively, after this game, they're they're 30th in third down conversion rate again. They're they're ahead of only the Jets and the Giants, man. Like that's that's about as bad as it gets. If you're not even better than the Raiders, you're not even better than the Steelers, you're not even better than the Patriots. These are some of the worst offensive teams that you'll find. You're not better the than the Titans. You're not better than Cleveland. You're not better than Bryce Young and the Panthers. Yes, thank you. So. That's where Seattle feels so concerning today. It doesn't feel we could go play by play and probably look at issues that may or may not occur again in any given snap in the future games. That's not the point. We have a large enough sample size to show that some of these issues are just not going to go away. And if they don't, you'll get bounced pretty fast from the postseason. Even if you do, if you make it, that's great. You know, you'll feel good about yourselves. Another game, make it to the postseason, another season that is. But if you just get bounced again, then you're, you're right back to square one. You know, guys get older, older guys get more banged up, and it's just harder to to get over that that hump. Not to say you can't, but it's just harder too. And right now, Chris, you're looking at a team that is like really talented defensively, but has some discipline issues, and as of late, has had some clutch issues. This is the this is two weeks in a row they've just come unraveled in the fourth quarter, just completely unraveled. Been fine for three quarters. And just fall, it fell apart against the commanders, fell apart today. In those two games, that's four drives, and they gave up. Let's see. I want to say that's 24 points in those four drives. That's that's just you can't do that between the, the last two drives of each game. If that's one of your flaws that you can't clutch up on defense, who's gonna believe in you? You know, um, and I think the inability to play complimentary football consistently is another one of those issues. And it's reflected in their point differential, too. Chris, we talked about this last week. You know, I'm a big point it differential. It must be plus right? two now, right? Because it was plus one it's, last it's week. Minus, it's minus two now. Uh, but, oh, no, I can't do math. Look, You're right. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it minus, was minus one last one. week. They lost by one. Yeah, minus yeah. two. But look at, look at some, let's look at some of the other teams. Uh, you know what? Let's just look at two in particular. The San Francisco 49ers point differential, 122. Plus 122, that is. That's huge. That is disgusting. That's 124 points better than the Seahawks. The Cowboys are at 127, dog. 127. Like, the Cowboys are out there whooping butt. The that's Ravens, what, that was, that's why I brought it up earlier. Well. Yeah. That's so, it's it's the 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 flaw. The, the, the reason that these teams, and I, we'll get to the question soon, but, Chris, the reason why these teams can't get to, or Seahawks can't get to where these other teams are getting is because they can't handle business and execute and get out of their own wave early. Because like you said, instead of being 10 nothing, or excuse me, instead of being 14 nothing, it's 10 nothing. They got within the 30 four times today, three times in the first half, and had 16 points to show for it. You mm. know what the good teams would have done in that situation? Hugs. Converted on third down, avoided those penalties, and they would have been up 21 nothing. And that mm. would have forced the other team to abandon their game plans and play on their heels like the Seahawks have had to in some of these games, and that is how you end up boat racing teams. But if teams can hang around and still rely on play action, they can still run the ball, they can still have their whole playbook open to them, which is what the commanders have were able to do, this is what the Rams are able to do, which is what other good teams are, are going to be able to do, shooting bad teams are going to be able to do. If you do that, you can lose to anyone if, again, your flaws are you can't stay on the field on third down and you can't get off the field uh, on third down on defense. 
and you got a clutch issue on defense in the fourth quarter. Now, we've been a mixed bag on the, on the defense. They've been bad lately, but have been good uh, in previous games. So I don't know if that's a full trend or if it's just a little, little hitch in the road. But I think that big picture, this game was emblematic of a bunch of larger reoccurring issues partic- with their most fatal flaws. Discipline, third down, red zone, late game stuff. But the late game offense was Jason's included in that too. Thank you for including Jason Myers because that's a long kick. But if you pull up the uh, for our people on YouTube, I want you to pull up the uh, the play again where Gino throws it to DK. And now the Seahawks can't see the little red line that that is put on TV, but there's a line that says field goal target line. They got past that target line. Jason should hit that kick. He is part of the clutchness, you know. Gino's part of the clutchness. Everyone's part of the clutchness. Uh, we'll get to the operational issue that happened there in, in the question segment of the show. But, yeah, today was – we can go through individual plays today, but it does feel like the larger issues just reared their head, and it's really hard to believe in a team going into Week 12 um, that's already played an easy schedule, by the way. See, it's already played a very easy schedule. It's just now getting real tough. <laughs> now here comes the juggernauts, right? If you are – if your flaws – can't be covered up and fixed through 11 weeks with a bad schedule. Why should people believe that you're going to fix them going forward with a good schedule when you're banged up quarterback is hurt. Ken's hurt. Jamal's hurt. I mean, every team's got injuries, so it's kind of whatever the Niners just lost a funga, but you guys get the point. Uh, this is it, it. The clock is ticking, man. It's time. Just like they showed some resolve after the week one and went into Detroit and got that win. They need twice as much, three times as much resolve on Thanksgiving and they don't have time. They don't have much time to figure it out. Clock is ticking. It's put up or shut up time, you know, on Turkey day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Real quick before we get to questions, I want to touch on something you alluded to in regards to the Seahawks kicking a field goal and the Rams still kind of lingering around. That's a perfect starting point because at that point, it's 10-0, I think there's maybe three minutes left in the first half. The Rams with the ball back. And you mentioned the Rams are able to, in this scenario, if you hold a team to just a field goal, you can still stick to, oh, we're going to play action. We're going to run the football. The Rams' fourth drive, they found their rhythm. Their first play was a stretch play to the right side where Quandre Diggs, thank goodness he was there because if he's not making that play, that might have been an explosive or a touchdown. Okay? That's how blocked up that play was. It was a great run, great call, and they run it. And Quandre Diggs stops him. I think it's a six-yard game. The next play, it's a halfback toss to Freeman. It's a first down. So the Rams have run two run plays, and they're already they're already moving, all right? The next one is a play-action pass to Tramel, I believe. Is, would you, Tramel? Yeah, number 81. Doesn't matter. Go ahead. Yes. Explosive. Yes. So you only have 10 points. Now the Rams it was, like, it was 13 at this time, but either way, your point is they settled for two right. field goals, so the point That's remains. Right. Go ahead. My bad. So 
now they're like, okay, we can still do some of the stuff we want to do. We, we don't have to throw it every time. We could run it because we just want to get in field goal range. Maybe we get a field goal, but we're trying to score, obviously. So they run that play-action pass, number 81, first down. Freeman gets the ball again, another three-yard gain. So you could see that they're still running it. Then they do a play-action screen for a first down. Then they hit 2-2 on a crosser. Got caught. They caught Bobby sleeping. He was trying to cover that crosser, but that's a tough one to do, especially there was no pressure on Stafford. He was able to really clean pocket, and he just stepped up, threw a nice little pass. If Tutu doesn't fall, he might get even closer, but that doesn't matter because ultimately it ends up in Freeman running for a four-yard gain, and then they set up the perfect play. They send the guy in motion, play-action pass, or actually not even play-action. Stafford looks to his left. We... I knew where the ball was going. As soon as the ball was snapped, I said, they're going to Puka. This is this is the play they want. They've, they've been running the football effectively, play-action passing. They brought the running back in motion. What does Jordan do? He leaves his zone just for, just for a split second. That's all it takes in this league, a split second. Stafford looks to his left. He already knows where he's going back to it. It's a whip route. He finds Puka, touchdown. That right there is a perfect example of what Mike alluded to about teams just hanging around and not getting out of their rhythm, saying we can still run the football and we can play action pass it. And they did that. And that's how they end up scoring and getting back in the football game. And then the Seahawks come out in the third quarter and it's a mess. Disley drops the first pass. So now you're second and 10. So do we run the football? What do we do here? Oh, you know what? We're going to throw a screen to tie Lockett because we feel a blitz is coming. That That's a perfect play. Seven yards, third and manageable. Third and three, right? Everyone's like, oh, this is perfect. We should get the first, the Seahawks should get the first down. Unfortunately, there's pressure on Geno. He doesn't make a great throw. I thought he should have led Noah Fant more. Unfortunately, he doesn't. And the Seahawks have to punt. And that's just a snowball effect of things that started happening that were negative and they never really recovered. They didn't. And thank goodness Gino was able to get back in the game and deliver that strike to that strike to G, not Gino to DK Metcalf because I don't know if Drew was able to do that, but Drew got in there and it, it wasn't great. Obviously, there was more issues. It wasn't just Drew, which hell, we've had the same discussion around Gino. It's not just Gino. There's issues around him, and that same thing reared its ugly head. The first pat. I think not the first pass attempt, but there was a third and long for JSN. They were on the same page. JSN's open. If JSN looks or if Drew has the right read, that is a explosive, if not maybe a touchdown. And it's those little things that matter, and they just cannot execute on those little things. So without further ado, Mike, are you ready to get some Twitter questions, man? Because we got quite a few. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we want to thank you guys again for, I know it's a tough loss but we're going to do our best to answer some of your Twitter questions. And I am i don't know where to start, but I guess we can go with, we'll go with overall. So this is from Ryan Turner at Turns44. Uh, yeah, familiar. I stop you every day. I lost you. Oh, okay, I lost you. I lost you. I lost you. Am I back? You got me? Yeah, but check, you're kind of delayed now. I'm delayed. It's okay. kind of like uh, dubbed. Okay. Let me see. Say something else. One, two, one, two. There we go. Okay. When did you lose me? Because I can just redo it again. Just start from the, just start with the, without further ado. Twitter questions. So without further ado, let there. Oh, okay. Shoot, my bad. You're good. I got you. Three, two. So without further ado, we got a lot of Twitter questions. Let's just get right into it. This first one comes from a familiar, I don't want to say voice, but Twitter question. How do I even? He asks questions all the time. So we appreciate the love here. It's from Ryan Turner at Turns44. Blame pie time. Where are we spreading the blame, Mike? How are we divvying this up? That's a good one. I'm not really, what's up, Ryan? I, I'm not really, I don't think this is like a, a bunch of individual players. Because think about what we all we just talked about before we even got to this segment. Think of how many different people we just rattled off that messed True. up something, that committed a penalty, that that didn't, you know, that's something that could be pulled back to a coach or, or dropped a pass or went on the same, like whatever, a bad throw. There's so many different people. So what, here's what I would probably do. This is a little bit of a cop-out, but I'll probably say about 
I, w- I would break it up into third. I'd probably go a third to the defensive players specifically, just players, not the coaches or anything, just players. Uh, I would probably give a third to the offensive players, and then I'll give a third to the coaches uh, on offense in particular. I, I don't have a – I didn't watch this game thinking that the, the game plan on D was super terrible. Guys, it's not disciplined. As much as the suplex was cool, it's undisciplined ball. Um, the DPI – was we get into some of the penalties later, but the DPI on, on Reek, that's not uh, the, the D the two DPIs, I would say, weren't great. But you got guys jumping off sides, uh, you got Reek with the hands to the face. Julian Loves was that's about as textbook as it gets with pass interference. Like, these are this is this is not play call stuff, this is regular football. This is football, you got to know. Um, and then there's that little like one percent left over if you like really third, 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 cut up the pie. Then I would just say like misfortune. It's probably hmm. in there. Like Gino's headset going off. That's come on. That's just that's that's a little that's rough. Some of those penalties a little rough. I'm, Jason Myers, man, that's a tough one because he had hit like 15 kicks in a row before that. He had hit from 54, from 52, from 43. He had hit a bunch in a row from 50 plus. Like he had been nails, and he's he's. They were far. They were in field goal range. They didn't even need need those extra yards from Zach. They were where they wanted to get to, and just couldn't get there. And they're obviously kicking in favorable weather conditions. Favorable, excuse me, weather conditions in in Los Angeles, Inglewood, wherever the hell we were. So uh, that's probably how I would divvy it up. It's not like I don't got like one player who screwed things up, one position group. Even everybody feels like they played a role in this, which is also why it's so concerning because it's everybody everybody's playing a role in these losses. It's not one side of the ball. It's not one coaching staff, one position group. Everybody is falling short. And that is where you have to be very, very concerned about where the Seahawks are heading into this Thanksgiving game. Mm. This next one comes from Joey with Pete's run philosophy. Is there an offensive coordinator or passing style that would work best with the Seahawks personnel? Yeah, I don't think so. At least not. I don't have time to dig into a bunch of like guys who are position coaches at their current jobs who would maybe be upgrades or like Shane Waldron or something that would take far too long to do on a post game show. That's a good off season study question for us. But in terms of guys who are like already OCs, I do think a good version of what Seattle was attempting to do on offense that fits within Pete's kind of style is what the Lions do with Jared Goff. I do think that their OC, I believe his name is Ben Johnson. I think Ben does do a good job of working with what they have uh, to maximize the talent that they have around the quarterback. Cause I think I'm on record on this show. I actually don't think Jared Goff's that good. I know he puts up really good numbers, but my thing with a guy like Goff is that you have to run a certain type of offense to really maximize things. You got to, he's, he's beyond the part of holding his hand. They McVay, I feel like had to do that. They don't have to do that as much in Detroit, but that's still the overall idea. Let's just make sure that 16's job is as easy as possible. Um, that's what you do. They do that with a lot of the play action stuff. They get real tricky over there. They move the pockets some with like the designs, not necessarily getting Jared moving a bunch. But so I think that would probably be the the best example. But even then, when I use that example, look at the Lions online. They have what the uh, the Seahawks do not. There was some plays today where it don't matter who was calling it. Like the, the play Chris show where Aaron Donald runs by Phil Haynes and knocks the crap out of Geno. They got nothing to do with Shane, dog. That's their right guard getting blown by by the other team's best player. You know, I mean, you can't double Aaron every play. Maybe you can, but sometimes guys just got to do their job. You're an NFL player just like Aaron, you know. Um, there was some plays there. There was a drive there where they had Stone in the game and Anthony Bradford in the game, and that drive did not go well, you know. Um, so I think even if I want to use the Lions as probably like the best version of what they want to do outside of maybe the Niners, um, the Niners have a, they have more yak guys with the Niners. So if I think there's not the totally best example, but even the the Rams are probably the best example. Like the Rams, they make Stafford's job easy, and then he does the hard stuff because he is dope. So yeah, there's no easy answer for that one. Uh, I really could in part because I think the O line is just part really just a mess um and this was like the healthiest they've been in a little bit so yeah no easy answer but if i had if you guys just looking for like what should the scheme look like i think detroit is probably just go watch some detroit games those are probably the best examples they're gonna get 
This next one comes from David Reese. What do the Seahawks need to do to get DK or to unleash him, his full potential, and start dominating? You look across the league with players like C.D. Lamb, A.J. Brown, St. Brown for the Detroit Lions, as you just mentioned, Tyreek Hill, Brandon Ayuk, Tank Dale, et cetera, et cetera. They're putting up crazy stats every week. So what can the Seahawks do? Is it play calling? Is it coaching issues? I'm not buying that there's too many mouths to feed. The too many mouths to feed thing is a little bit realer on Seattle than some of the other teams. Like in Detroit, excuse me. Yeah, in Detroit, you feed Amon Ross St. Brown and everybody else gets the rest. You know, um, in what's the other teams in Dallas? You feed CD, you get everybody else involved. In Philly, um, you get a that they're a little they're in a similar too many mouths to feed situation. However, Jalen Hurts has decided I'm gonna throw it to AJ Brown as much as humanly possible. And everyone else will have to deal with that. Go complain to the OC if you got issues. And you know what those guys do? They go complain to the OC. So they got some similar issues. I do say that part of it, it's it's two-pronged. Some of it I do think is the, the scheme. Though they're getting a little better slowly. It's taking way too long. At getting DK like layups, I feel like there's better ways to get him the layups um, against uh, the type of coverages that they're getting. And I do think some of that is skill set. Uh, DK is not a huge, he's, he can be a yak guy like yards after catch, but some of those other people that you named Chris are better at it. I do think that some of those other guys, AJ in particular, CD probably falls in this category as well. Terry McLaurin falls in this category too, even though he was not named, uh, and being a contested catch guy, like you can just throw the ball up to AJ a lot of the time and he will just go get it. That's not a scheme thing. That's just trusting your dude. And you don't see that as much. Um, with the Seahawks, you see Gino get to him, but it's not like, all right, I'm gonna trust my guy to go win one on one, like JSN did on Sunday, right? Yeah, and you see some of those. We saw one last week at the Commanders, and the ball hit DK in the chest. Um, so that's where I think it's two pronged some of it is team stuff, some of it is skill set. Um, DK is like a good route runner, some of those guys you named are like real deal. Um, DK is like a good contested catch guy, but. Some of those guys are like much better. I love that Tank Dell was in the question, by the way. Like, dudes like play like nine games. Uh, he's already he's already in there, and he's a receiver named Tank. Uh, it's just <laughs> everything was perfect about that. But I, people blame a lot of this on scheme. I do think some of it is DK too. I mean, part of the reason that teams felt that the let Russ Cook thing was so easy to shut down in the second half is because of how simple it was. Just cloud DK side if he's just going to run a bunch of go balls, we can just stop. Um, cloud meaning leave someone underneath him and have a safety over the top. Uh, when teams don't do that, they take their shots. But if you just if you commit to doing that every play, like the Rams did in that 2020 season, you can slow these guys down. So I, I think it's two pronged. I think DK's got to help a little bit with that as well. He had another drop today. Um, got to catch the ball consistently. There's a ton of stuff involved. But I do think you can blame if you want to talk about blame pies for a second. That one's probably 50 50. I think that one is scheme, and then some of that is on the guy himself. You got to go. You got to go prove that you can consistently be that type of cat where it's like, all right, throw it up to 14 and we're going to make something happen. Tyreek is the same way. Um, he's a better route runner too. So there's, there's so much stuff involved in that. I think that one's 50-50. It ain't just the scheme. All the scheme is part of it, but some of it is the player as well. It's got to be that perfect marriage. The perfect marriage is what you're seeing with Philly and Miami. This next one comes from Karate K84, Tony K. The second half... They went away from the run when they had the lead. Why? What did they see? They put the ball in Locke's arm and didn't run. We saw the result that happened. Thoughts? Yeah, that's that's a fair question. They tried to run, and I can see the thoughts behind this. They tried to run their normal offense. Not exactly the same, but like let's play action. Let's get let's get Drew moving. They did do some runs. When you look at some of the throws that that Drew had, it was very rarely like traditional drag stuff. It was like a play action to Noah, action to Will Disley. You know, then by then, you know, a couple runs. By then it's third down. I actually don't mind the process there because you don't want to just feel like you make Drew feel like you don't trust him because you have to feel like he can he can be trusted in that situation because he has to be confident. When he's confident, he's going to play at his best. If you get in there and say, hey, kid, go in there, don't screw up. Hand it off to Zach and let us right off in the sunset. When you're not running the ball super great at it is anyway, that's tough. You you want to give him some easy throws, layups, you know, to make him feel good he can go down and execute. So I think I think that was part of it. Um, 
whether I agree with it or not, I do think that was that's legit process. That's fine, uh, generally on their part. Um, the issue is the Seahawks just don't consistently execute around their quarterbacks to help them out. Whether that's the play calling, whether that's the blockers, whether that's the receivers, they just not. It's not consistent enough. So we saw it with Drew in there. We saw it with Geno in there. You know, they've mixed the linemen. They've got a different running back this time. They've had different receivers in and out of the game. It's it's just not there consistently. Um, and when you when you are not consistent, it doesn't matter whether you're running it or passing it or play action or standard drop back. If, if you just can't be consistent, guys consistently winning their matchups, something will always go wrong. Um, so that's why in the blame pie we mentioned earlier, it's everybody. It's the coaches on offense. It's the players on offense. Like, it's, it's not one – thing one position group uh i don't mind shane being like hey let's play action let's get drew moving that's actually cool it just ain't work you know that was decent process with bad results but that's the bad results are kind of inevitable no matter how you want to call it if guys aren't good enough to execute consistently this next one comes from prime bam bam is it valid to feel upset at shane waldron for the lack of adjustment to the offense in the second half over most the season uh, yeah, I feel like it's very valid to be upset, you know. Um, there's a lot of talent on this offense. It's a very talented team. There are, JSN is very talented. DK is very talented. Tyler is very talented. Um, Gino is very talented. You know, some of their linemen are very talented. The tight ends are very talented. It is very okay to be frustrated. However, we do got to maybe come to terms with the fact that talent does not necessarily equal production and consistency. Talent just means you can be good. It's like potential. There's talent there, but it's not consistently producing. And that's mental. Some of that we've seen on the show has been communications. You know, like, hey, guys, are, guy don't know the play, runs the wrong route. Gino thinks the guy's going to do one thing, blah, blah, blah. Guy miss a block, whatever it may be. But having the talent does not guarantee that you will execute consistently. Um, and there just feels like so many times where it's just one thing. That's why Gino and these guys get up there and spew, spew these cliches. It's all 11. It takes all of us. We all got to execute. All this stuff that y'all tired of hearing. You know, what you know why they're saying it? Because it's accurate. It's because if, if 10 guys are doing the right thing on the play, but the 11th guy is charged of blocking on the screen JSN or just not holding or not delay a game or not false start or not a legal shift, or not an L man downfield with, or not offensive PI or face back, whatever it is. If the 11th guy ain't doing it, all you can really do is say, okay, either we're going to trade that guy, cut him or bench him, or everyone has to do their job. And that's why you get more of the latter than any of the former. So uh, I understand the frustration. That's legit. Those are real frustrations, especially when you want to be a championship team. This was some fun loving team. Like the Detroit lions are having won the division in 30 years. Everything they're doing is house money. The Seahawks are trying to win a championship. You gotta be critical of these guys. You guys are you're on it. Me and Chris are critical of these guys. But unfortunately, Chris, there ain't no easy fixes for some of this stuff. Some of this stuff is it's almost gotta be like a, y'all probably saw this is extreme, but y'all saw Deion Sanders after whatever game it was a few weeks ago where they asked him about the O-line, and he was like, the answer is to get in line. You know, now that was extreme. That's harsh. Those are college kids, that's tough. But seriously, that's what it comes down to. You almost got to be like, hey, man, I remember Ryan, Ryan Neal saying this after the Saints game. He was like, if we don't do our job, they're going to bring people in here who will do the job. And that's kind of where the Seahawks are at offensively. If guys aren't going to be consistent, that's everyone, by the way. That's quarterback, that's receivers, that's tight ends, that's running backs, that's, that's the O-line. If guys aren't going to be consistent, the Seahawks got to be like, hey, man, we'll bring somebody in to do your job. We'll put somebody else up over you, give them your snaps. Because right now, the consistency is not matching the talent. That's really the issue. This next one comes from Chris Leeper. Another familiar voicemail, not voicemail, Twitter asker of questions. How much of the in-game situation falls on Pete? It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
I've thought about this quite a bit from the Uber ride to my hotel and everything and rewatching the game and talking to players. I'm really ready to put a great deal of it on the quarterback because I just don't think that your default setting should be to call a run in that play. I think the default setting should be prioritizing everyone being on the same page and prioritizing stopping the clock. Those are two things. You want everyone, like we just talked about with all 11, you want everyone on the same page and you want the clock stopped. You accomplish both of those things by spiking. And I do think that's what he had to prioritize there. He did not. Um, did guys not execute the play that he called? Sure. No one blocks Ernest Jones. Was that Evan Brown's guy? Was that Jason Peters' guy? I can't really tell. I'd have to go ask somebody, you know, to really know. Excuse me. I would have to really know who messed up. But it doesn't matter. I think that was really bad process on the part of the quarterback based on the information that we have. If I get new information, I'll feel different. Currently, though, in that scenario, if Gino completes that ball to DK and he's like, yo, I can't hear. Oh, damn. All right, let's just get up and spike it. That has to be the thought. Let's spike it. Let's make sure I can hear. Because, okay, let's say here's here's the other thing. And me and Chris didn't talk about this pre-production, but Chris, you'll probably agree with this point. If, If Gino can't hear, Right? If he can't hear the play call, if he can't hear anything after he completes that throw to DK, and his default is, well, let's hand it to Zach. What makes you think that he'll be able to hear after the Zach play? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it does. It's not it's like oh, the, the mic just doesn't work for this play. And then that is, I'm just gonna think my mic is. Excuse me, it's a speaker, not a mic. Shane, he can only hear Shane. He can't talk back to Shane. But either way, you guys know what I mean. If in his thing, the helmet speaker is broken. It's malfunctioning. Okay, well, the, the thought should be, I need to go fix this. I need the clock to stop so we can discuss that. Not, all right, it's only going to be off of this play. Because let's say Zach does get like four yards or whatever. You still need to hear Shane again. Are you guys you risking being off as a, a all 11 again? Maybe you're, you're, uh, you don't need a fancy play call at that point if Zach gets like five yards or something, but you do need everyone to be still. Maybe you're risking an illegal shift again. Maybe you're risking a false start. You, you could be risking anything there. So I think the default should have been prioritizing the time and prioritizing everyone being on the same page, not just let's get a couple more yards, because that was Gino's reasoning. I think it was Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune that asked him after the game, why call that specifically? He was like, I had thought we had a good chance to get more yards. I think getting more yards should not have been the priority, whether they could have or not. I think that's bad process, again, based on the information we have. Because if your mic went out, if the speaker went out, it's probably out. You still need to you need to hear Shane for these next thirty seconds. You know whether. So I think that was bad process. Um, I know everyone's probably thinking, why doesn't Pete coach them to spike? I mean, I'm sure they've they've had the clock the the speaker go out before. I don't know if you can exactly coach that specific situation with the timeouts where they out on the field, blah blah blah, but. You can leave you leave a little room for judgment when you have a quarterback as veteran as Gino is, and which I, I agree with doing, give him a little freedom. But in that situation, the veterans gotta know time is important, everyone being on the same page is important. Powell's got his hands up on the backside of that play because he probably doesn't know the play. JSN and DK look like they're running a screen at the bottom of the uh, of the front side of that. Looks like an RPO, maybe it just the whole thing just is just just off. And you, you gotta prioritize everyone working together. So um, in a veteran quarterback, I would expect to know that. So um, I would actually put a great deal of that based on the information we have on the quarterback there, because if he makes the right call, Jason could still miss the kick, but I just think the, the process was overall not very good, even before Jason lined up to kick it. This next one comes from Brant J. The fascination with throwing deep on third downs instead of moving the chains. What's up with that? For what it's worth, that those deep throws are going to move the chains. So it's not like throw deep so we can punt. But I, I get the question. Uh, I do think this is fair as well. We're getting some very fair questions, even if I have a little rebuttal on them. Like Drew's first third. Let's look at some of the plays. Drew's third down over, over the middle to JSN. That's a fine throw. That's perfectly fine. That's the read. That's where it takes you. The other one, uh, the deep shot to JSN. That's fair that there was nothing short on that. It was like third and short. You know, it was the only thing that was short in terms of routes was Zach in the flat and he was covered. It's third and three. You need to launch a moon ball, especially with your backup QB. I feel you all uh, on that one. The other one, 
got a one-on-one with Tyler Lockett against a center corner who was drafted in the sixth round. I take that every day, twice on Sunday. So it was it's a little bit of give or take. I don't think there's a fascination with him because, as Chris alluded to earlier in the show, there were some couple short ones that they tried. That one to Noah is a quick, like, get to the sticks, turn, and throw it to you. Well, you know who else thought that? The Rams. They had a guy right there. That happens. Right? Like, everyone knows everyone knows the down and distance, not just the offense that knows the down and distance. Um, so I don't think there's a fascination there. I think you do need to have balance. I think the defense needs to know that on third and three, you are willing to go deep so they don't just sit everybody at the sticks. And I do think sometimes you do need to go short and just sit everyone at the sticks. But I don't think there's a fascination in that regard. It can just feel frustrating when it doesn't work. Um, but I think that the deep throw to Tyler was fine. The first deep throw to JSN was fine. Um, the second one, I probably would have had a little bit more of an easy throw built into that, assuming that everyone ran the right route. We don't know if that's the case. Um, so I don't I, I rebuke the, the premise of the question that there is just some fascination that Shane just like, let's hug it deep. No, that's the case. But I, I would agree that today. A couple of were probably not the move, but at the same time, the execution wasn't there in certain parts of the play, so it probably wouldn't even have, you know, it mattered whether it's, a, whether it's the protection. So, man, Chris, they're just bad offensively right now, man. It, the, more I, the more I talk about this, the more I'm just like, this is not a very good offensive team. It's just something, it's just, it's just not clicking. It feels very similar to um, the Bills a little bit minus the turnovers, where it's like, some of the raw numbers are good. The efficiency stuff is good, but it just don't look right. It just don't mm. look right on Sundays. Um, and it didn't It didn't look right again today, whether Drew was in there or whether Gino was in there. This next one comes from Eli Titan Killer. Is it worth it to keep Waldron after this season? That's a good question. Ask me and Chris that again at the end of the year. Because I mm. do think... It's it's a little incomplete at the moment because to be I'll be honest with you guys, I do think Shane's like right around average play, play caller. Like, again, me and Chris watch the league. We watch and film every week. I'll watch all twenty two of teams that aren't the Seahawks. You know, when I got some spare time, Shane's actually okay. You can do much worse than Shane. Like go go look at the top ten worst teams in points per drive or, or points per game. Just look at the who they are and watch some of their games. Go buy Game Pass. Go click on the condensed version. It takes each, each cost about 40 minutes, and you can skip you know, through just so you're only watching offense. You will find bad play going. You will. You will find really bad. You can do much worse than Shane. Can you upgrade from Shane is a question. I do not know that. I don't know who's available without an immediate upgrade. Um, but ask us again at the end of the year. Because right now I think you have like an average coordinator. Can you fire an average coordinator? Sure. The Seahawks fired out. He was he had three top 10 offenses in a row. Fired. You can do you can fire whatever the hell you want. Is that the right move? Was it the right move to fire Shotty? Doesn't look like it. So um, yeah, ask us that at the end of the year. Because it right now they have an average play caller who has a really talented team and it's not all being maximized for some reasons that are out of his control, some reasons that are. How likely is it that you immediately upgrade on it? The shoddy situation told us it's hard to immediately upgrade on it, you know, so that's tough. So, again, I, that's a good question. It's fair. Uh, right now, I would say keep them, but ask us that again later. This next one is a follow-up from Brant J. Where are the Titans in the passing game? Do they do something to piss Waldron off? I love when we get this question because I want you guys to understand there's only one ball. They can't be committed to the run, make DK a beast, get Tyler his catches, make sure they're maximizing JSN to justify using a first-round pick on him and get the ball to all three tight ends. It just, it just, they, can't, they can't even do all that and get the ball to just two of the tight ends. Somebody's got to eat less. There's a finite resource. It's called the ball. There's one. There's only so many plays in a given game, um, especially when you have a lot of third downs. You usually don't have multiple tight ends on the field for those. When your O-line is not healthy, you have to have your tight ends in to block. Like just, it's it's not hard to watch the games and realize that there's one ball. You can't everybody can't have a baller game every week. Should one maybe be used a little bit more? Maybe. Should Colby be used a little bit more? Maybe. Um, but there's only one ball. There's only one ball. And I feel like every week, Chris, we get some variation of why don't they use a third person? It's like, well, they can't just use everybody every week. 
The good teams don't even do that. Look at the Eagles. Look at AJ Brown's target share. Look at Tyreek Hill's target share in Miami. Look at some of these other people's. You got y'all play fantasy. Look at the target shares. You know, it's it. You can't get the ball to everybody every week and everybody go off. It's just not how it works. Uh, I think what's what's a bigger issue is there's no easy buttons for their best players. That's mm. a bigger issue. Uh, other than Tyler, there's easy buttons for Tyler. I think they they can press every week. And then the, the easy button for JSN seems to be those crossers in the screens, which I'm okay with. Um, but the bigger issue, I think, then like getting the tight ends involved seems to be third down. If you're one of the worst third down teams in the league, I don't care if you're throwing it to the kicker. Y'all got issues. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just that's that's where you start. Why are we not converting on third down? And as we've talked to Chris every freaking week, it seems like there's no easy answer for that one. This next one comes from Aaron. Why should Pete and John stay beyond this season? I feel like every time we go to this question, type of question, whether it's during the year, early in the year, end year, season, whatever, I feel like our answer is a very variation of the same uh, for good reason because there's no reason for it to change, right? You're asking the same thing about the same two guys. Um, it's going to be very hard, not impossible, but hard, to find someone who's good at all the things that Pete is good at and good at the thing, good at all the things that Pete is bad at. The same thing with John. John has some drawbacks as a GM or his, you know, his staff as a whole. They do some things really well. They find some late round guys that can that can ball. And I'm or they're guys. They find Bobos and Punas and Thomas Rawls and even a Brian Monet and some other guys that you know, Dugs and Jermaine's and Sheds. They have this track, Michael Bennett. They have all these track records. They've found some steals in free agency. Um, they found some steals in the drafts. You know, can you find a GM and coach pairing to do that type of stuff and do all the things that, that these guys are not good at, too, particularly with Pete? Pete has the culture part down. He has philosophy down. He's got these things. Can you find someone who has the culture, has the philosophy, can implement it right away and is good at all the stuff that that Pete's not? That can have nails teams on third downs and all this stuff. I don't know. Don't know if that guy exists. Is it worth it to try? I'm not really sure because that would probably mean a full-on teardown. The the owner of the team probably does not want to do that. Um, so I think if you're wondering, okay, what do we, why do we keep these guys, Mike? Why do we keep these guys, Chris? That's probably the the answer. Is that the they have the foundation, Pete and John? There's actually no debate about that. The foundation is there, and it's it probably feels easier to build on the foundation than to tear it down. Hope you find a new foundation and build up the higher ceiling on top of that. That just seems like a tough ask. It is a tough ask. I can understand the ownership group not wanting to do that, um, but I can also understand you guys asking about it. But I think that's the answer. These guys are good at really good. They're, they're good at things that are hard to be good at, culture, finding diamonds in the rough, and then they make their whiffs on some trades. They make their whiffs on early round, first round picks. Um, it's difficult to find guys who do all the good things they do and be good at all the bad things, um, good at all the things that they're bad at. That's tough. That's tough. That's probably the answer. Whether you like it or not, you guys got to admit that is the answer to why you keep these two alive. Well, there's several reasons, but that's one of them. This next one comes from Wide Receivers Crowd. How many of these guys are back next year? DK Metcalf, Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, Lockett, Geno, Uchenna Nuosu, Draymond, and Will. And the, the, the person who asked this had all their 2024 cap hits in the question as well. They're all pretty large. Um, a lot of those guys had their contracts tweaked with in the offseason, or they got new ones, or they're just on fresh ones like Gino and um and Draymond. Um, of all those guys, though, because of them getting their contracts tweaked, like Jamal, Tyler, and Gino, or excuse me, Jamal, Tyler, and Quandre all had their contracts restructured. They had their money deferred, pushed out a little bit. Um, I think all those guys that are in this question are going to be back. The one that it probably feels like he's out of here is Will. That just seems like they have a hard time incorporating him in a way that satisfies what he's making, not just from Will's perspective, but just like how often he gets the ball, how often he plays, where he's at in the tight end kind of rotation versus how much money he's making. That seems like the one where you're like, ah, 
He probably, he might not be here. If this thing all falls apart, though, I could see like a like them maybe want a new quarterback or something like that. But for the most part, I think all those guys will be back. Will is the only one I would probably say, nah. So actually, I shouldn't say all those guys. Everyone but Will, I would probably I, I feel most comfortable about. I do think the belief that Jamal and Quandre in particular just ain't worth their bread. I feel like those two guys play at a high level when healthy. With Jamal, if you're pissed about him not being healthy, that's fair. I ain't got no no argument there. Got to be on the field. Can't make the club in the tub, you know. But Quandre, DK, Tyler, all these guys, they're producing when given the opportunity. So yeah, I think I think everyone but Will is like pretty guaranteed to be back. This next one comes from Nick Z Red. Do you think Gina will miss any games? I would be very surprised if he played Thursday. He just seems like he's in so much pain. Like he's probably on a flight right now as we're recording. Elbow on fire on that flight. Elbow on fire. I'm sure most of those guys are hurting because that's how Thursday night football works, man. They don't even get healthy until Thursday. I had a player tell me, he was like, Mike, I can't wait to tell you guys what's really wrong with me right now. And it ain't, it, it's worse than what Pete's been telling you. It's bad. Um, yeah, there's no reason for him to say which player that was. But yeah, he was like, yeah, I'm I'm hurt. Uh, I'm hurt. Um, and I'm usually not even good until Thursday. And then we got to go right back out there and play the Niners. So, yeah, I would be very surprised. Here's the thing that's tricky about the Geno situation. We don't have enough data to, to measure what kind of negotiating power he has. Like, can he tell Pete, nah, Pete, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Like, Tyler can do that. Tyler's hamstring was clearly bothering him, and they let him play. DK had a broken foot all of 2021 or 2022. He played the whole year. Like, some guys can play through that. Richard Sherman had that same leeway, too, to be like, coach, just give me a day off during the week. I'll be fine. You know, Marshawn, Mike B, some of the veterans, they've done that. You can tell. Even Jordan and Jamal Adams this year. They don't practice on, like, Wednesday to Thursdays or something. Those guys have that built up. I don't know if Geno has that yet. Maybe they want to protect it from himself. I'm not really sure. But because of how because of how much pain it looks like he's in, I mean, y'all saw them slow-mo shots of him trying to throw. That looked like that elbow was on fire, you know? So uh, he was wincing and everything. It was rough. Now, he came in and played fine, like from a physical standpoint. The throws were money. But I bet you guys, that that elbow is in the biggest wrap. He's on, he probably had that big old brace that Ray Lewis had on there last Super Bowl, like, is he gonna look bionic all week? Probably can't throw all week. It's just gonna be tough. So I would be surprised. That's not to say he can't, but I, I personally would be kind of surprised based on how much pain it looked like he was in uh after the game. This next one comes from Hunter Clement. Hard to imagine Gino Shorter fine for the rest of the season, but the defenses will be facing. So how much faith do you have in Locke that he's up to the challenge? Good question. Uh, it's his elbow, though, to be clear, not his shoulder. Um, it looked like his shoulder. I, I, I thought it was his shoulder, too. It's his elbow on his throwing arm. I'm not very confident. not going to lie. Me and Chris have been kind of laughing at you guys in a nice way. We're laughing with you, not at you. But suggesting that they play Drew, insisting that, like, oh, let's go to Drew. Let's see what Drew is. Guys, don't do that. You see why you don't do that? Don't do that. I w- now, uh, granted, I will say Drew will probably come in and play a lot better when given some first-team reps during the week. I think that's true for every guy. However, y'all see the difference, man. There's no shade to Drew. I like Drew. I talk to Drew in the, in the locker room like every day. He got a pregnant wife. I just had a kid. We bond. Male stuff. I'm talking ball. Seven is better. That's just a fact. Y'all synced it. You have synced it, it. All year, last year, it's okay to just accept that. So that's why I'm not as confident because one guy is better. The other part of the reason why I'm not confident, because everything has to be good around Drew as well. I guarantee you that Drew, this is how Chris this is how Thursday is going to go if Drew plays. He's going to make some good plays. He's going to make some bad plays. And Pete Carroll is going to come in there, unless Drew like pick six to lose the game. Pete's going to come in there and say, no, Drew, Drew played fine. He did his stuff. You know, they, they knocked him around a little bit, but we got to be better around him, you know? <laughs> I can almost, I would, I would almost bet my daughter life savings. This ain't much because she's young. I would almost bet my daughter life savings. He says something like that. And because I know he's going to say something like that, because guys are going to let Drew down around him, that's why I'm not confident. 
because even though I think Drew's got a lot of talent as well, he is one of those guys who very similar to like a golf. I think Kirk Cousins falls in this too, although he's a really good talent. Things got to be really right around them type of cats. And if not, it goes south. And I just mm. don't, cons- I don't, we haven't seen the consistency from the supporting cast for any of us to feel good about everyone playing at a, at a high level around Drew to help them beat the Niners, the Cowboys, or the Eagles in this upcoming stretch. Well, there it is. Well, thank each and every single one of you for taking the time to ask Twitter questions. We appreciate all the love and support. Man, it's a short week. We're getting right back to it. So you guys are going to get, I guess, in this scenario, a Friday special. Black Friday pod after the Seahawks and Niners game. We'll be dropping that. So you'll be going out shopping, I imagine. Just go ahead and pop on Man to Man in your headphones. Or if you are at the crib, you can watch it. YouTube as well. So we appreciate all the love and support again. So thank you guys. Mike, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we have an, we have a podcast announcement coming soon, hopefully this week, if not next week, it's very important. So stay tuned for that. You don't have to do anything new Just stay subscribed wherever you're subscribed. Nothing will change. We just have an announcement coming soon. It's a good thing. Don't worry. It's not bad. Um, it's actually very good. Actually, I would say so until then, thank you for the love and support. Um, thank you for bearing with me in particular as I'm feeling like hell again. The post game show. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Like Chris said, it's a short week, so we're packing everything in. Uh, we will get you, we'll, we'll get you this week for sure. We don't, you guys are like Chris said, it's a two for one, it's a BOGO. Uh, buy one, get one this week on the podcast. So until next time, appreciate the love. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.